Last week, Australia was in the news for the worst reason, shark attack. A British man who lives in Australia was killed by a shark on one of Sydney's beaches. It shocked our city and made news around the world. I don't know about you, but I certainly was rocked by the news when I heard it. Hello and welcome to Two Ways Ministries podcast. I'm Philip Jensen. This awful attack reminded me of the last death that we had by shark attack. It was in the harbour back in 1963. I mean, I can recall it very vividly. I'd just finished school, just starting university, and it really rocked the city on the occasion. It was such a horrible way to die, and it was such a surprising thing as a lovely young woman in her early 30s was only about knee-deep, thigh-deep in the water in the harbour and was taken by a shark. As with all sudden horrible deaths, it does cause us to think more deeply about life and death. But before we discuss the topic, we should extend our sympathies and prayers for the British family, the Australian fiancé and friends of Simon Nellist, who was taken this week ago in this terrible event. His death affects us all because no man is an island entire of itself and any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind. But it reminded me of John 11. I don't know about you, but there's a great verse in John 11. I learned as a child simply because it was the shortest verse in the English Bible. But it's a great verse. You know, when Jesus stands beside uh, the tomb of his friend Lazarus and we read, Jesus wept. Uh, Jesus knew he had raised Lazarus in a few minutes' time, but he still wept over his friend's demise. For death is always awful. It's the terrible judgment of God and the victory of Satan that we die. And it always hurts people. It hurts the people that we leave behind. There's a sense of permanent loss in death, of friendship and of love and of relationships. And I don't know whether you've experienced much of death, but it never really leaves you. It is always an unhappiness. It's why the discussion of death is so important in our in our society, in our friendship, in our relationships, because, well, it is the future of us all, and we need to be prepared. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're told that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. (laughs) Most people won't want to be invited to a house of mourning. They're quite happy to be invited to a party. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love feasting. But actually, mourning is better. Let me read it to you. It's from Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. It's, it's one of those little Bible passages that as soon as you read it, you, you realise how wise the Bible is and how foolish we are. Well, I, sorry, I shouldn't speak for you, how foolish I am. Because, yes, it is in death, it is in mourning, it is in the confrontation with the reality of death that we do gain wisdom. And even the sadness of face is what makes the heart glad, whereas the happy face does not really change the heart. Many years ago when I was first ordained, I had little knowledge of the advantages or disadvantages of being in paid Christian ministry. But one of the sad advantages of being a Christian minister that I would never have guessed is the privilege of conducting funerals. The parish I was in had lots of funerals and 
parish ministers like like I was then, I was only 25, but I was conducting a funeral every week or so. And we have to face death and grieving and people's sorrow and sadness, but it keeps us in touch with reality. For death is about reality, and reality is about death. We have to think about death and understand it, think about grieving and understand it, so as to be able to speak to people in the context of funerals. However, as a society, we've moved any sight of death as far away as possible. We put old people in care in in villages where they're locked up with each other. And when people die, it's so often in hospitals or in palliative care units, but it's not actually something we ever see. We don't even see old people getting old in our society. It came to me as a shock when I was that young minister how small funerals were. Most of the funerals were old people, and most of the old people's funerals had no more than 20, 30 people attending. Occasionally, I would run a funeral for a young person. There was a lot of drug deaths in that particular suburb. Then the church of hundreds was filled. People were standing in the aisles. Then you'd have huge crowds for young people's funerals. But old people, well, they just fade away, so to speak. It just seems that as families have got smaller and scattered across the world now, as old people are removed from society, the funerals are getting smaller and the concern over somebody else dying seems less and less. COVID has actually accentuated it with restrictions in funerals, but notice how we're told the numbers of deaths, but we're actually not told the names of who died. The people who die of COVID are of no public interest, apparently. They're just numbers. We're interested in the numbers more than the people in trends and epidemiology rather than the individuals, and yet each one has a story, a lifetime story, that is really very important for us to grasp, but we, as a community, are too busy counting the numbers. It was only yesterday that I found out that, from a report of the Australian Bureau of Statistics, that the average age of those who died, I think it was the median age to be accurate, but those who died because of COVID is 83, which is life expectancy anyway. The majority of people who are dying are in their senior years, their 80s, their 90s. But you see, when a shark attack happens, well, it shocks society and it's about a young person. And we want to know about the victim, who he was and why he was swimming where he was. And and even strangers are affected by the news. It shocked me. I don't expect it. I'm horrified by it. I mean, the last time it happened in Sydney was 1963. That's a long time ago. You don't expect it to happen. And when it does, you want to know about the person and find out why and who. And see, ponder it. Why, why do you think we're shocked? I thought of several reasons. It's a premature death. You know, the Bible itself teaches us that we live three score years and ten, which, in case you don't know the old way of describing that, means 70, or four score if you're strong. I mean, we've extended life expectancy in our 21st century, but we're still just around four score. We're still just over 80. And so a young funeral, a young death, well, that's always a little bit shocking. But it's also because it's rare. <laughs> we, we don't actually have shark attacks all the time. If you're a 
listening to me from England, I just want to assure you we don't have shark attacks very often. I mean, in Coogee, in 1922, there were two shark attacks and people died. And the last death in, uh, in, in Sydney, anywhere, was in the harbour in 1963. The woman who died that occasion was Marcia Hathaway, and she was a keen Christian. She'd become a Christian in 1959 in the Billy Graham crusade. The fact that I can tell you that indicates how long it has been since we've had this death, how rare this is. I mean, there, there are other deaths, sudden, shocking deaths, car accidents, plane accidents, wartime deaths, even COVID deaths that, that occur, but in a sense they're not rare. They, they happen all too often. They're rare enough to be put in the newspaper, not rare enough for us to spend any time finding out who the people were and what is involved. But not only is it premature and rare, I think the shark attack ones gets us because of the savagery, the violence of the death. And it's, it's, well, people have got this ghoulish interest in the details. They've even got pictures of the events put up on the web. But it's not just the kind of savagery of it, because there's a, or the violence of it, because a plane crash is terribly violent and war can be. It's the strange intentionality of it. It wasn't an accident that happened, like a car accident. The shark killed the man. But this episode raises actually bigger and wider questions that I wanted to actually spend some time talking with you about. That is, questions of our relationship with creation. See, we Christians know the world, not as nature, spelt with a capital N, but as creation, the work of God. And we know our place in God's creation, that humanity has been created in God's image and appointed by God to subdue the world and have dominion over it. Now, we also can see there are many signs of our failure to fulfil this task, from our ecological mismanagement of God's world to our susceptibility to disease and viruses. But a shark attack is a sudden and dramatic kind of singular event, a demonstration of our failure to be in charge. It's the stuff of horror movies. I mean, Jaws, classically, has been thought of, but there are others. Hitchcock's movie, I don't know when it happened, 1960s, I guess, called The Birds, when suddenly our avian friends all decided to start attacking humans. Creatures striking back at their human masters, and we humans, especially we city dwellers who are pretty unconnected to anything in creation, much other than concrete and cars and screens, we suddenly have become vulnerable, inadequate, weak, defenceless in front of the rising power of the creation. And so it becomes scary. But it's not just fiction. It, it is fiction for city dwellers, but there are real life problems that we have in creation. The famous stories of the lions of Savo when they were building the Kenyan railway across to Uganda and suddenly the lions took to eating humans and the terrible conflict that took place and the loss of life that happened on that occasion. And of course there has been for this last two years the pandemic of a, a virus that has taken us some time to, to master. However, so many in our journalistic cadre have abandoned the view of God as creator and abandoned, therefore, the view of humanity 
as being in dominion under God's authority. And so they, they have to make sense of the world without God. They have to make sense of this tragedy without God. And so they're writing from a completely different perspective, that of false prophets, really. Uh, one of them, who regularly swims in the ocean, wrote that swimming for me is not merely exercise, it is a spiritual experience. Well, it's not the experience of the Holy Spirit, it's a different kind of spirituality that she's writing of. She's, she also speaks of being conscious of the other shark attacks at her particular beach. And as she passes the very spots where these happen, she thinks there, but for grace, go I. When I read it, I immediately thought, who's grace? I mean, the saying is there, for, but for the grace of God, go I. That makes sense. But there, but for the grace, go I? Is it her grace that the sharks don't attack her? Is it the sharks' grace that they don't attack her? Is it the spiritual grace of the sea, which is spiritual somehow? Who's grace? The Christian understanding lingers on even when it is being denied. One of the common themes of the godless is to say that we must understand that the ocean is not our domain. It's the shark's domain. <laughs> that one seems to me to have three problems to it. Firstly, it sounds like victim blaming. It's not the shark's fault. It's our fault for swimming there. Strange that the journalists who say we must never blame the victim for being unwise, careless or taking on risky behaviour are so quick to be able to effectively blame the victim for swimming where there are sharks. But there's a more profound problem. It's that it's not the shark's domain. It's God's domain. And he's given it to us. The claim that this is the shark's domain is, is not true which raises actually the third problem, namely that the sharks don't care for us, but we care for them. Because we're made in the image of God, because we are in dominion, because we are to subdue the world, we have responsibility. And you see it in the way in which we treat the, the oceans. Our concern for the barrier reef, our concern for turtles and their reproduction, our concern for whales and that we are continuing to have them free from the attacks of humanity and able to reproduce in large numbers. Some of the ways in which we take responsibility have nothing to do with human invasion, but we do use science, good science, to investigate the seas and the lands and the skies in order to exercise our dominion. So our marine biologists study and seek to preserve the sharks. But the sharks' terrestrial bi biologists are not doing anything to look after us. It's an absurdity to think that it is their domain and not human domain. Through our mismanagement of the harbour and of sewerage outlets, actually, from 1852 to 1963, 100 years, there were 40 fatal shark attacks in Sydney. But since 1963, we've had none till last week's fatality. Now, I'm no expert or even knowledgeable about sharks, but I understand that they're not out hunting humans. But it is human wisdom 
and scientific study and good government policies that have been used to exercise our dominion over them so that something which a hundred years ago was all too common has now become so rare. But as I heard about it, it, it kind of took me back to the funeral services I've run and to two parts of the prayer book. You see, when I was first ordained and I served in this church that had lots of funerals, I became very familiar with the words of the funeral service. I may say, there are parts of the prayer book which are wonderful and the funeral service is one of those wonderful parts for it expresses the truths of the gospel with joy and solemnity. It, it expresses the reality of life that we're in. It doesn't run away from the problems. And so the words of the shark attack reminded me of, in the midst of life, we are in death. To whom may we look for help but from you, Lord, who for our sins are justly displeased? Yet, Lord God, most holy, Lord, most mighty, holy and most merciful Saviour, deliver us from the bitter pains of eternal death. God hasn't lost control. He's always in control. He's in control of life and he's in control of death. Death is God's condemnation for humanity's sinfulness and death, especially unexpected death, reminds us repeatedly that we need to turn back to God for forgiveness. Reminds us that Jesus has conquered death and, and that we're not to grieve as those who have no hope. The other part of the prayer book it reminded me of immediately and I thought of is, is a part called the litany that speaks of sudden death in a slightly strange prayer. From dying suddenly and unprepared, good Lord, deliver us. One of my teachers claimed that this was the oldest part of the prayer book and was a little bit unreformed. The Reformation hadn't touched it. It still had the, the sense that you had to be in, in full fellowship with God at the time of your death. That if you sinned and didn't have a chance to repent before you died, well then you'd have to spend time in purgatory paying for that yourself. And so from sudden dying suddenly and unprepared, good Lord, deliver us. But others point out, no, it actually is truly reformed. Because, yes, you can't die sinless like that. We die only sinless because Jesus' death for us. But if we've confident of Jesus' death for us, we will not be dying suddenly and unprepared. Marcia Hathaway, that actress who died back in 1963, it was a terrible event. Not only with the horror of the shark attack, but also the breaking down of the ambulance and the waiting for another one to come. Her fiancé asked her whether she was in pain, whether it hurt, and she said, no, I'm not in pain. But then, as is recorded her last word, she said, don't worry about me, dear. God will look after me. She didn't die unprepared. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we know the wages of sin is death, but it's the second half we've got to remember of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do not need to die unprepared, but by the death and resurrection of your Son, and by calling upon his name, we may ever be prepared to be entered into eternal life. Amen. Thank you for listening.
listening to this new podcast from Philip Jensen and Two Ways Ministries. Philip will be bringing to you new regular episodes on a variety of topics and current issues. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with his latest. Thank you.